You're listening to the Bouquet Podcast with your host, Dan Ping. Last night, Thursday, August 9th, the Sanford Chamber of Commerce held their political hobnob. They also held a straw poll, during which incumbent Mayor Jeff Triplett received 57% of the vote. His challengers, Pasha Baker, received 30%. Victoria Robinson received 9%. And Nancy Groves received 4% of the vote. In the District 2 race, Kerry Wiggins received 48% of the vote. Mario Hicks received 25% of the vote. Shane Lillibridge clocked in with 16% of the vote. And Barbara Hartsfield collected 11% of the vote. I'm talking with Daniel Lewis, a Sanford attorney who has an interest in local politics about the results of last night's straw poll. I will give you some warning. This is my very first podcast. My editing skills aren't so great, so uh, there's, there's some rough patches in between, but I think the conversation is enlightening. So thanks for listening. Hey, Daniel. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you good. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Awesome. So I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on, uh, on the straw poll last night that the Chamber of Commerce held. What, uh, what stood out uh, to you most? What stood out to me the most, and it's, it's always hard to tell with such a small sample size, we had about 400. But what struck out the most to me at a Sanford level was the mayor being able to have enough to escape any runoff. With a field of four, getting 50% plus one, I thought may be daunting. But last night he was able to poll at 57%, um, which – I thought it was a pretty substantial turnout, despite a good crowd uh, from candidate Baker. Ideally, we would like to have seen better numbers, although it's always small with a sample size. But um, with only two of the four candidates there, I don't know how much we could extrapolate. But my one big takeaway was the overwhelming margin that Mayor Triplett won by. He had 168. Uh, the second place, Pasha Baker, had only 88. So it's sizable advantage. And of course, the other two were significantly lower. Um, yeah. Conversely, in District 2, Harry Wiggins was unable to get that same threshold in a field of four. Yeah, I think he ended up uh, pulling about 48% of the vote, uh, which raises some interesting uh, things. And, and of course, you know, like you said earlier, it's kind of hard to extrapolate um, this and say, okay, this is from a straw poll and, and, and turn around and say, that's how the general election is going to be. Um, it's not always the same because with these events, people, you know, they of course bring their supporters and, and that sort of thing. Um, and as you mentioned, two candidates were there, but if it goes to a runoff in either race, you face an interesting challenge in November when the runoff election would be, and that there's expected to be 40 plus constitutional amendments on the ballot. It's going to be a very long ballot and the Sanford race is going to be at the very end of that. So some people may not always make it to the end. 
I agree completely. Conversely, you're also going to have a larger amount of people voting and it's going to open up a lot more than per se what you'd have just in District 2 alone were that to go to a runoff. So the November election, we would see candidates presumably from the third and fourth place finishers have to find new people uh, to support. And it would open it up to people who are not in District 2, like myself, who may want to weigh in on who gets one of those five votes. So it'd be interesting. I, I really expected both these elections to lean towards a runoff. And the way that I'm seeing this play out in the straw poll last night's indicative, Mayor Triplett may not face that scenario. May not, may not. One, what were your thoughts on um, how uh, Nancy Groves uh, pulled? She had just 11 votes. Now, in fairness, she wasn't there. Um, she didn't attend the hobnob. So, uh, and of course, uh, uh, you know, she didn't bring her supporters with her not being there. It, do you think this race is shaking? I, I kind of get the sense that the numbers from last night are how things might shake out in this race coming up on August of the election coming up August 28th. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Dan. I really think that this is probably a good rough draft, but again, there's going to be a, a good deviation based on the fact that you're right. Nancy and Victoria, the people who finished third and fourth did not bring a crowd, did not set up. We're not there talking to prospective voters Uh, I think that skews it somewhat, but when you look at combined, they only managed to get 13%. Um, I think that does indicate to me perhaps what we might see coming in about 18 days as far as some lower numbers that, um, you know, I don't know what else to say except perhaps, you know, the message just isn't resonating. Perhaps it's a message of money, um, fundraising, or maybe it's just a simple fact that they weren't at this event last night and didn't bring their crowd, and Jeff and Pasha did. I, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but I would tend to agree with you that these percentages are, are pretty good to what we might expect to see in about three weeks. What – and I know it sounds like I'm picking, picking on Nancy, but – at this point, if you were running her campaign, would she's already on the ballot. The ballots have already been printed. She's, her name's going to be listed. Would she's about half the money, but actually close to 60% of uh, the money she spent on this campaign has come from her own pocket. Would, would yeah. you invest any more in the campaign at this point? Wow, tough question. Um, hard to speak for somebody else and their passion and their motives. Personally, uh, here's the here's the thing. If I were running a campaign that raised approximately five thousand and three thousand of it was my own, I would have a hard time putting more of my money into that, seeing that I'm not getting support back from the community, that some of these returns aren't ideal. That'd be a very hard question uh, for myself. At the same time, um, if you believe in it and you've come this far, you know, you see it through. So that that's definitely a something she's going to have to address. I do think that it's not a coincidence that the two candidates who polled last night at a combined 13% are the two candidates who have struggled a little bit to raise funds. I think it's hard to run a campaign off three or $5,000, especially when the incumbents running one off 35 to $40,000 branding, messaging, calling mailers. It's hard. Um, So how much of your own money do you want to spend? That's a personal question. Um, 
I, I don't want to say it's over, but I don't know what she could do at this point to make up the gap. I think that she has some good points to make. Maybe it's money, maybe it's method, but it just didn't seem to pick up steam. No, and, and uh, you know, I kind of found it curious, and you and I have talked about this before, with all of the uh, uh, free or lower-cost options available mm-hmm. through social media that some of the candidates, mm-hmm. or all the candidates, actually didn't take better advantage of that or use that to their, um, to their advantage. Yeah, it, it's, it's great to play, you know, armchair quarterback. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because we I have agree. all the right answers, right? <laughs> <laughs> I agree completely that, um, you know, when you look at a regular mayoral campaign, what was maybe four or eight years ago with the monies collected, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, I thought to myself, realistically, you might be able to slide that down towards thirty to forty and do a lot of online and social media in the place of print because of the way the modern world works. But it's still going to take some funds sponsored ads, mailers, and I don't think there's anything that can beat the old-fashioned canvassing neighborhood by neighborhood, and those don't cost money. Not attending a hobnob in and of itself isn't going to make or break a campaign, but I do think rather than some of the other things they've done, spending a few hours going door-to-door every night or perhaps putting more money into free and online social media ads, yeah, I I see the value. I do. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it's it's easy to second guess, especially when you're not involved. But yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, the we uh, you know I I worked on Triplett's campaign uh, in two thousand ten when he was first elected, and uh, he was running against a, an incumbent at that point, and we knocked on a bunch of doors. Uh, I, I don't know how many thousands of doors we hit, but uh, and, and with a very targeted, you know walking list but that that produced a lot of results you know in my opinion uh you got people that you know some that were a little bit angry with you and then others that were very supportive and yeah it's definitely a good way to uh, do some retail campaigning and and get in front of the voters knocking on those doors you said the key word there dan with targeted I think that's the difference that money and experience comes to play. Having the money to buy list of super voters or targeted voters and then having the expertise to enact that plan rather than try to find the needle in a haystack, going to the right 500 doors matters. And I just point blank, I would have run this campaign very differently. And I'm sure anyone would have run the campaign completely differently how they would have. It's easy to look back and say this worked or this didn't work, but targeted doors are a must. Um, so is embracing multimedia, social media, all sorts of free events. Um, yeah, I think more could have been done. At this point, I don't know that I'd necessarily put more money into the campaign. I don't know that I necessarily needed to put any more money into the campaign to begin with. If you want to go grassroots, maybe the methodology could have been you know, exercised differently. Maybe they could have gone about it with a different method, I mean to say. But, you know, if there's going to be a runoff here in the mayoral level, Pasha is going to need some help, I believe. And whatever contributions they can give to forcing that from Victoria and Nancy's campaign may come in very much to play here. Um, so it's interesting to me that if they do continue to send money and they do continue to race the finish line, is the aggregate there going to be able to get to 50% plus one to force the incumbent to push this out all the way to November? It'd be very interesting. District 2, much the same way. I'm more interested to me in seeing how that plays out 
more than I'm looking at the top to who is projected to be ahead. Because I think with a runoff, you could have a complete resetting of the deck. You could have another 20%, 30% of people who are going to have a new candidate to back. You're going to have a wider voting pool. It could get more interesting. Conversely, it could hold out last night. Kerry wasn't off by much. This could be done on the 28th. So very curious. It could be. And I, I, I agree with you. I, I actually think both of these races have, have the potential to go to a runoff. I think the mayor's race, probably a little less so, but um, particularly in District 2, where you've got four brand new candidates trying to replace the retiring uh, Dr. Velma Williams, that, that I think very much could just looking at other races in the past where you're dealing with a bunch of brand new candidates, most likely that may end up going to a runoff. And like you said, that, that restacks the deck at that point, because then it's a matter of who, whose votes can I pick up? You know, if, if say Shane and uh, 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 Shane Littlebridge and Barbara Hartsfield, you know, where are their supporters going to go if they finish like they did last night? And they had 27% of the vote. That's a sizable block that's up for grabs. Exactly. Exactly. And so, again, you're also spreading it wide open to people like me who live in District 1, and now I get a chance to vote. Do I want to support Carrie or Mario, which is my candidate? Maybe those six weeks, it almost hits a whole reset, and they're now embracing thousands of voters they haven't pitched to before. This could – well. Actually, in District 2, it it will still only be District 2 voters. Um, Ah, my mistake. I thought it opened up in general. No, no, because uh, the the race is nonpartisan. Um, So the runoff would still only be – but you'd have to live in District 2 to be able to vote in that race. Understood. Thanks for the clarification. I'd always thought it opens up to the entire voting pool once it goes to a runoff. No, uh, Sanford's different than everybody else in Seminole County in that you vote by district and you have to live in that right. district. It's not an at-large type of thing. Um, and, yeah, it, the runoff would just be for the District 2 folks. Now, like, obviously, in the, in the primaries, you know, then it opens up to everybody in November once, you know, the, the Republicans and Democrats get out of their primaries after August 28th. Uh, but yes, th- this would only be for District 2 voters. Good to know. Thanks for the knowledge. Now, in your experience, because you've been around lots of straw polls and campaigns, how much weight can we ever really put on a straw poll? I mean, how accurate have you seen or not seen them be? Uh, I've seen them all over the map, man, because basically with straw polls, it's a matter of getting your supporters you know, to the place. And you're dealing with hardcores. Just kind of like uh, political debates or forums, everybody that's in the audience has already made up their mind. There may be 1% of the people that attend these type of functions that aren't uh, or or that are undecided, but most everybody that goes to these things are, are what I would call uh, super supporters. They're you know, they're helping put out the signs, they're volunteering. And so they're showing up to vote in these straw posts. So, you know, sometimes they're accurate. Sometimes they're dead wrong too. So it's kind of all over the map. Interesting. You know, one thing I was really curious to see last night as well, and you're very much involved in this is the charter review amendments. Um, Obviously you headed that committee and there were four amendments on last night, which all cleared pretty easily as far as the proof with a yes vote. I was, 
I like, I'm in favor of the amendments. I like the results last night. It was good to see that over about 430 people total concurred. Uh, I think we range anywhere between 63 and 74%. Yes. So I think these are positive amendments. It was good to see that feedback. I know these have been discussed a lot on different political forums the last few weeks. So I think that the review committee did a wonderful job and I was happy to see the support. I, I was happy to see that too. You know, obviously we knew as the charter review committee going in that this is a multi-step process. You know, we, we suggested some amendments. The city commission had to approve them to put them on the ballot. Now it's up to the voters and, at least according to this straw poll that, you know, the voters seem to be in favor of that. So that, that, uh, I hope that means that, that um, our committee, you know, worked responsibly and, and put a lot of thought in, into uh, the amendments that are on the ballot. So we'll see what happens uh, in 18 days. <laughs> oh, for sure. This has been one heck of an election season. It's uh, personally, you know, my first mayoral election here in Sanford only coming two years ago. So how how was this compared to other elections? Is this typical of how we are? Is this different in any way? You've been around, as you mentioned, working on uh, Mayor Triplett's campaign in the past. So was this election representative of what we've seen overall or was it weird? It, it seemed to be a little bit weird uh, in my uh, experience in that I didn't think that the challengers, at least to this point, really haven't gone um, aggressive isn't quite the right word, but it, it seemed to be a lackluster campaigns from everybody, even the mayor. You know, it, it hasn't been until the last couple of weeks where we actually started seeing, you know, anything out of his campaign or, or for that matter, any of the campaigns. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree with you. The whole time is June and July was – ticking away, I was wondering when we were really going to start to see a blitz. And it didn't really seem to come till about the 1st of August. Um, with the mayor's position, I think that might actually be a good strategy. He could sit back enjoying a rather sizable nest egg that gave him a three to one advantage, or in some candidates cases, eight or 10 to one advantage. He could see what they were doing. And I feel maybe he didn't feel pressed. He could let that play out and then do a nice four-week blitz where the last and the only name you're seeing, via you know, robocalls, neighborhood canvassing, mailers, signs, is the incumbent who already has name recognition, who already has the bankroll. He could basically blitz that in the last four weeks. I think he was able to afford himself that luxury because no one really did press him in June and July. No one forced him to move earlier. Uh, maybe that's correct. Maybe it's not. But I would agree that I was waiting for it to start. And it seems that it just started about a week ago. And uh, I think that plays into the mayor's hands very well, intentionally or not. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you make a good point. It's kind of like, uh, you know, in football or, or basketball, if you get up, you know, you're up by 40 points at the half, you know, um, you play a lot differently. You, you know, you, you, you go into a little bit of a prevent or a little bit of a slowdown just to wind the clock down. And that seems to be kind of what he did in this case. Yeah. Nobody was pressing him. He definitely had the bank account, you know, in terms of the money that he had raised that, you know, he could do this, you know, blitz at the end. I think it's effective to a point, you know, the last name you see, the last name you read, the signs, the mailers, the robocalls, the canvassing and the existing name recognition, you know, he could drop 15 or $20,000 on a four week blitz 
which could be very effective. And that in and of itself is more than any other candidate raised. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it looks like, uh, you know, the money race in district two, uh, Mario and Carrie, you know, they came out one and two last night in the straw poll and they're one and two in, in the money raised. They're real close. I think less than a thousand dollars separates yeah. them. Yeah. We, we saw a correlation where the candidates who had money pulled the best last night. We also saw a correlation with the candidates that had money were able to attend the event last night. So I don't know how much of it is skewed by the people who had the money to spend on the table or chose to spend it on the table versus other methods, brought their crowd, worked the room. I'm sure that accounted for some of the bump, but I'd also think it's not an accident that the people who raised the most money are polling the best. I think there's seriously, obviously a correlation. Um, yeah, and, and, that, and Mario are neck and neck and Jeff and Pasha are both ahead of, well, well, Jeff has more than Pasha. They certainly have more than the other two. Right. And, and that gets into, you know, a whole debate that, that is not, is occurring across the country, not just in Sanford, you know, how much does money influence politics and is there a way to get some of the money out of it? Well, I really felt that in 2018 with a grassroots effort being made available, I now have, the technology in my phone to reach hundreds and thousands of people and make interesting ads and videos and sponsored promotions and all these things that we'd see a lesser funded candidate make hay. It just didn't catch on. Maybe, maybe we still need the old tried and true uh, money expensive paper production campaigns, or maybe it just wasn't a message that seemed to catch wind or a, a social media campaign that really had wind catch its sails. It's, it's hard to really say, and again, it's not to nitpick or play, you know, armchair quarterback, but I think more could have been done for free. More could have been done for a few thousand than was. But also, I don't think you're going to be able to have real effect unless you can get this thing up to fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, which by mayoral candidate standards is still not a lot. I, I saw in 2014, 2010, these numbers are fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000. So raising three grand is a lot different than raising 50 grand, no matter how you effectively use free venues. It just is not going to correlate. Absolutely. And, and to do a mailing, uh, you know, an effective mailing is going to cost you somewhere between five and $8,000 to do a citywide mailer to, you know, targeted voters. Um, and, and so, yeah, I definitely think you need the money, but I agree with you. I think it is possible in today's age with social media and some of the technologies that are, are either free or, or you can put $500 and get a big bang for your buck. Um, I think it's possible for a lesser funder, funded candidate to run. And also, I think if, if – but, but it's, it's got to be a, a well-thought-out strategy, and you've got to execute it really well. You've got to do it day after day after day after day. It's got to be consistent. It can't be, oh, something here, and then a month later, something here. That's not going to work. Um, you've got to work it really hard. Now, I also think that can help you raise more money for the more traditional electioneering stuff. I agree. I think an effective grassroots social media campaign gets your name, your brand, your face in front of people. And when you throw at events, it's a little bit easier to start getting those $20, $30, $50 checks. I think that it starts that ball rolling and it picks up steam. Right. That being said, I 
also do believe that while you might not need 50 grand anymore, you might still need 30 and running it on five just might not be doable. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think you can do it on five. I, I think, you know, somewhere if, if you could get to 20 or 30, I think you could really uh, be effective. So we'll I would agree. For, we'll have to wait till next election cycle to see <laughs> if that happens or not, at least on the local level. Yeah, and we're two years out from seeing, uh, presumably, Patrick Austin return as an incumbent candidate. And Patty Mahaney, I believe, you know, returning as an incumbent candidate. Uh, it'd be interesting to see who comes out in districts three and four to challenge and how much money they spend and how that election goes. I do know that the last election in district three that I was here for between Patrick Austin, and Steve Delisella was very passionate, very uh, close, very you know, uh, divisive almost to a point. It's my first experience in local Sanford politics, having been here almost three years now. And I didn't see some of that same passion and uh, it just was run differently at this level. And I'm not sure if that's the logical difference between mayor and commissioner or between district one and district three, but I'm curious to see how Patrick and Patty's reelection campaign, should they choose to run again, go and how much money it takes. I think for the commissioner's, you know, eight to 10,000 seems to be a number that Carrie and Mario are comfortable with, and they seem to have pulled ahead. I think it could be done with less. I think it can be done with five, but it has to be done right. Exactly. I, I think you're right on that. Uh, most of the, uh, just going off memory, not exact numbers, but it seems like most of the commission races have been somewhere in the $15,000 or less range. Um, I think Patrick raised about 12000 in that campaign with Delisala, but uh, I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers. Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting election campaign, that's for certain. And I have appreciated the coverage you've had on the Bokeh election page and, and the live stream. You know, that's one thing, too. I haven't seen a lot of the candidates really getting involved in government time. I think that one of the best free venues is these workshops and work session meetings and commission meetings. You can reserve five minutes at the end of the seven o'clock meeting and have that as your time. Put the incumbents on the pack, introduce campaign points. I wish I could have seen a little bit more of that and the involvement. When I go to the work sessions or watch your live streams, it's been spotty and that's being polite. Um, I do <laughs> think that if they end up not polling as well, it's a combination of funds and maybe they can, reassess if they ever want to involve again and run this a little more efficiently. Right. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if any of these candidates, uh, regardless of the outcome, um, if, if they get involved in others aspect of city government or if they run for office again, you know, there's been some speculation that some of these candidates are running just to gain name recognition for the future. Um, which, you know, that happens all the time. I mean, I'm not poo-pooing that by any, uh, any means. But, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see their involvement in the future. It will be. It will be. And, and I think that having gotten to know them all, there have been good messages. It's just somehow not really been put out to the entire community on the wide level that they would have liked. And, you know, I think we've already talked about a lot of different reasons for that. But, you know, getting involved in the current meetings now and being there at the 7 o'clock meetings and actually making time for yourself, I think, is important. I think you referred to it as practicing before you actually play. 
going to these right. meetings, being involved and weighing in, I think is something that they all should have been doing at some level and some have, um, but it's, it's been spotty. Right. No, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, Daniel, I appreciate your time this morning. Um, we'll uh, hopefully do this again. I, I, part of this is a practice to see how this technology works for us as we were talking about technology, but, uh, and let's see what my editing skills turn out like and, and see if we can make this a decent sounding podcast. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And I always love talking politics with people who know a lot and you know a lot. So thanks for letting me speak with you on all this stuff. All right. Well, Daniel, have a great day, man. You too, Dan. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. I want to thank Daniel Lewis for taking the time this morning to talk Sanford politics with me. By the way, this episode of the Bokey podcast is sponsored by Ride Lime, the convenient and easy way to get around downtown Sanford and the golf cart zone. Ride Lime, squeeze in. Thanks for listening, folks. This is Dan Ping signing off. Have a great day. Thank you.